0: You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello Yoga Teacher. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome Shara Carruthers to talk about what Ayurveda has to offer yoga teachers, especially during times of change, uncertainty, and heightened anxiety. I actually met Shara about a decade ago at a yoga workshop, and I immediately loved her warmth and her infectious enthusiasm. Through the miracle of the internet, we have kept in touch, and I was really honored when recently she invited me to be a guest on her podcast, Live Like You Love Yourself, which you should definitely check out shara is a passionate and outspoken voice for the power of living your truth an international teacher speaker and advocate for women's wellness she's inspired and motivated a global community of women of all ages to live juicier and more connected lives by embracing the principles of yoga and ayurveda she's a certified yoga therapist a professional ayurvedic practitioner and a writer Her most recent book is called Eat Like You Love Yourself, A Modern Guide to Ayurvedic Cooking and Living, and she's the creator and presenter of an online TV series of the same name now available on Gaia. Shara is so fun to talk to. She and I tend to get really excited, and our conversations can go on and on in a good way, like there's just so much to say, and we build on each other. So since this episode is on the longer side, I want to just jump right in and invite you into our conversation about grounding and Ayurveda. All right, Shara, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here. I would love to start with a brief story of your introduction to Ayurveda and how you got here and why you're passionate about it.
1: Oh, man. Um, Like a lot of people, my introduction to Ayurveda started with yoga. So I had done a yoga teacher training, and very shortly after doing the training, and by shortly, I kind of mean maybe within the first six months after doing the training, I started asking questions of how do you use this stuff to help people? You know, like how is it how can we apply this and that was kind of the yoga therapy question which a lot of a lot of teachers you know maybe new or or older teachers are asking themselves and so being the person that I am I started diving into that and inquiring into how I could learn more about how to apply yoga kind of specifically to the individual and I ended up in a yoga therapy program and having no idea what I was going to see or what I was going to get or learn outside of yoga and the program started with Ayurveda because Ayurveda in, it's kind of, there's lots of different uh, approaches to, uh, to yoga therapy, but for the most part, um, classical yoga therapy has, a, has Ayurveda at its foundation. And so when I started getting introduced to like the doshas and all these, um, all these concepts and principles that immediately connected, immediately I was like, oh, and I love that. I think, and that's kind of the way that I teach it too. Now because I think when we can when we can have some sort of immediate connection to something, we it starts to come alive within us. And then we maybe start inquiring more or seeing it out in the world. Anyway, so um so so after that training, I just, you know, we got a little bit of, of Ayurveda, but I wanted more. And so I just kept learning more, I kept, you know, inquiring and learning more and doing more study and working with people and and the rest is history. Here I am.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what your practice looks like? Do you work with people one-on-one? Like how, what has your clinical practice looked like?
1: It's kind of all over the place, just like me. (laughs) So primarily it's, uh, it's working with individuals. So I might have people who, and typically that is people who are feeling some discomfort in some way in their lives, whether that is, some kind of illness that they're managing or that they're wanting to kind of dive a little bit deeper into or whether that's some some kind of mental emotional disturbance or i mean anything you know weight gain menopause all those sorts of things that people are kind of struggling with trying to understand how to work through or manage they will come to me and we will talk about it and i will give them some insights about about lifestyle and how perhaps their natural tendencies coupled with their lifestyle may be contributing to the problem or can be used to help alleviate the problem. So that's one way of working with folks. And then probably my favorite way of working with people, which I kind of do most, and I I channel a lot of my energy, is education. And partly that's because I have always seen Ayurveda as an empowering kind of body of wisdom as opposed to... uh, the traditional, you know, doctor patient kind of relationship, uh, where people are relying on you and relying on your knowledge to help them through. I'm really about giving it back and having people understand, you know, having people understand the signs and the things to look for. And, you know, just like you said, giving them enough information and enough um, support to start to trust their own intuition. And so I do a lot of that. I do courses and, you know, workshops and things like that. And I'm working on some stuff for yoga teachers because I do feel like yoga teachers are the front line. And if they can really understand how to share Ayurveda with their students in a way that has them, has them understand it to some degree or at least kind of piques their interest, then they'll dive in a little bit more, perhaps.
0: I would love to hear about how you use Ayurveda in your own life. Like, what have you been able to transform for yourself?
1: So much. <laughs> so much. And it's so funny too because after all these years, it it doesn't even feel like anything separate from me, you know it, It's I think and it's partly because it's now built into who I am. So Ayurveda is the foundation for or Ayurvedic wisdom is the foundation for me understanding. I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. for me understanding that in this moment, my feet are a little cold and that makes me a little bit anxious and so if i am present enough and if i am in this space of what i kind of call like loving myself enough i will get some socks and i'll put those socks on and i won't have to deal with that stress of that anxiety which can Flower out into all other aspects, you know, my relationship with my kids or my husband or my ability to get something done or even just the my physical experience. Uh, so IRT is kind of that. Um, that's just kind of one example. It's me knowing that certain seasons work. I work great. Oh my gosh, summer! Summer, that's me. And that took me years, like literally, growing up in California. Um, I didn't. I didn't always have there weren't so many shifts to the weather. And so I didn't have any sense for how the weather impacted me to some degree. Like I wasn't tuned into it, but also there just wasn't that much, um, you know, there wasn't that much change. And then when I moved away and started to live in places where there were some huge, you know, relatively shifts in the seasons and my whole mind body was kind of all over the place. um, You know, you kind of find yourself in this place where you're going, what is happening to me? what's going on?
0: You're talking directly to me right now (laughs) because I grew up in Hawaii. Same thing. Not a lot of seasonal changes. When I moved to, now I'm in North Carolina. We talked about that earlier and there's seasonal changes. Okay. Big, but then even bigger, I moved to Iowa. I went to college in Iowa Wow. and I started to get seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. And I, I wanna say that this year is really the first year that I have not, I did not feel any symptoms this winter. And it's been getting better and better ever since we moved into our new house because our house has a ton of windows. And Mm. so in the winter time, during the day, it's south facing, we get a ton of light. And that has made such an impact on my mental health. I can't even tell you, but I just wanted to say, like, I can completely relate to that story. That you know, if you grow up somewhere and your body gets used to a pretty even temperature and and seasonal situation, and then you move somewhere where there's major seasons, it's disturbing. Yeah, can
1: do, and the seasons are one of the biggest impacts to our experience our mental and emotional experience and and we don't always we don't always tune into it and even you know as a as a business person you know for me there'd be certain times of the year where i was like this is oh, i can't i can't do this like i can't think in the same way now as i could think you know even just a few months ago and you start thinking what's happening and so for me you know ayurveda gives us kind of this wisdom for one recognizing you know these, some of these symptoms and some of our own patterns. I always like to say that Ayurveda helps me to, has helped me to find my own rhythm, my own natural rhythm. Uh, so it gives us some ideas about these, these things to look for. And then even better, it gives us some guidelines and some suggestions for how to offset the impacts of the seasons and you know, our environment. Um, yeah, and has us kind of recognize that really who we are is a relationship. We're a relationship between what's happening in our minds and in our bodies and in, in what's going on outside of us.
0: Oh, I love that. For context, I do want to share that Shara is in Australia. Yeah. So for those of us listening here in the States, hearing her talk about feet being cold, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's in the fall, right? Fall, winter right now? Yeah, we're, yeah.
1: we're transitioning right now from fall into winter.
0: Yeah, whereas we're like, woohoo, it's somewhere okay. over here. <laughs> so it's interesting yeah. to have that context. And can I just say how amazing it is to get to talk to each other? With, yeah. We're using video chat. It's clear. We can hear each other. I mean, modern technology is amazing. <laughs> One of the things that you said earlier that I really wanted to highlight is talking about self-love and how Ayurveda can be a tool for really nurturing yourself self-love self-care I wonder if you would talk a little bit more about that because I think that's so important and I think that can really shift our perspective a little bit about what we want from Ayurveda versus like oh I have a problem that I need to solve how about even if you don't have a problem how can I make my life better
1: yeah how can I be a better me yeah yes Yes, so I'm so glad you asked this because this is so key. Like the Ayurveda typically has a couple of different areas of focus. One, of, one is treatment of disease or treatment of issues like, I, like we talked about, you know, managing issues. But the biggest and the most important is prevention. And prevention, I often say prevention of anything, of illness uh, or disease, means that we have to love ourselves enough to make healthy choices before we feel any twinges or any low days or any, you know, anything, any aches or pains. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge for most of us, especially when the health and wellness world uh, kind of dictates in some ways that healthy looks like this. And if you don't look like that, or if you're not doing this, then you're not, you're not even on the road to, to health and wellness. What that means is that a lot of us are just challenged to try to figure out how to fit our square selves into that round hole. And what I love about Ayurveda, one of the, one of the very first principles of Ayurveda that, I just, that just melted me, is this idea that we are each 100% unique individuals. And if you think about that idea of us being a relationship, right? Whatever's, whatever's going on inside of you versus you know, alongside everything that's going on outside of you, that you can really embrace. That like my personal experience is completely different to yours, even though you know there's lots of things that are quote unquote similar. Who I am as an individual is completely different. And when you can when you can truly get your head around that, then you can start to you can start to kind of give yourself a break. <laughs> you know, you can start to understand that, like, what's work going to work for my next door neighbor or for my family member or for my best friend or from that, for that person on, you know, television or social media or whatever, that isn't going to work for me. So I need to do the work to figure out what will work for me. And then it becomes this kind of adventure of being curious and exploring who you are uh, and learning yourself. And again, all of that has to be driven by some sense of love for yourself. You know, some sense of, of wanting, to, wanting to understand yourself enough to, to do that work.
0: Wow, that's yeah. really beautiful.
1: And it's great. <laughs> it really is, you know?
0: Yeah, it's so empowering to recognize that you're allowed to find your own way or your own version of health. You know, it's funny when you first started talking about what health looks like, I had in my mind the physical aspect of like, you're supposed to be thin, you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be that. And then I realized that you're talking about even more than that, where it's like, you're supposed to eat this way, you're supposed to exercise this way, you're supposed to self care this way. Even you're supposed to like
1: these kinds of things, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to want to make lots of money. You're supposed to, like, if we just think about the, you know, our society's view of, or vision of what success looks like at all levels, everyone is constantly comparing themselves to that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really insidious and dangerous, especially in the yoga world of this is what a yoga teacher should look like. This is how a yoga teacher should eat this is how a yoga sh- teacher should be successful. Yeah. And then we compare ourselves, not to people who are similar to us, not to people mm. who've been around the same amount of time, who have similar backgrounds. No, we compare ourselves to people who are completely different. And almost always we find a way to find ourselves lacking. I mean, yeah. are, am, I, am I alone here? I don't think I'm alone, because I talk to a lot of no. yoga teachers and this is what I see. And I see it in myself, too. It's like, who am I comparing myself to? Yeah, what do you think? You know, how can we understand this about ourselves and do better?
1: That's a great question. It feels like it feels like that's kind of the age- old struggle. And you know when you dive a little deeper into yoga um, philosophy, you know you come up with you know underst- an understanding of those some of those um, tendencies. But I think, I really do think if we can start to learn more about ourselves and what we like and what we what we truly truly like and honestly like this all of this is all of this is requiring us to use our yoga you know to tune in to be present to uh, to feel ourselves to notice ourselves to use that sense of awareness and to be con- to do that work consistently and with enthusiasm and to constantly letting, to constantly let go of any, you know, any attachment to any kind of a result, really just about tuning in, like, how am I feeling today? And when you do that, when you get present, nothing else exists, nothing else is, you know, and how am I reacting to this situation? And how is my mind body processing, you know, what, what I have to do today, like those sorts of things they start to become a part of your archive of understanding of yourself. And the more that you understand yourself, the less what's going on with other people really matters. Like the less, you know what I mean? Like as you start to see, this is how I'm dealing with this, and also, honestly, like I, I do the doshas for for me and for a lot of people. Like a lot of people start with the doshas, which I think is actually a good thing because to me, this for the doshas are a um, they I call I consider them to be like um, a foundation of swadhyaya. So when you understand how these uh, energies express themselves in you, and that's really the first thing I usually say to people. Look, if you're wanting to learn about Ayurveda, usually we uh, we. People want to know, what's my dosha? Um, but, and, and well, <laughs> yes, I do think that's a great thing. But what happens is people say, well, I'm a vada. Oh, and you're a vada. And then we start comparing ourselves. Well, I'm a th- you're a that. But what's most important, because we have all of these doshas within us, is understanding how your vada expresses itself, how your pitta expresses itself, and how your kapha expresses itself and so again that kind of brings you right back inside as opposed to looking out and saying oh i'm vada but i'm
0: not skinny or i'm vada and i'm not you know
1: all the rest of it
0: one of the things that i learned in one of my teacher trainings that i took that really blew my mind about ayurveda was that your expression of your dosha will change over your lifetime so it's not a fixed thing Mm
1: -hmm. (sighs) yeah
0: because we want to treat it like astrology you know like I'm an Aries or I'm a Sagittarius or whatever. And it's more complex and more fluid than that. To bring it back to the previous conversation that we were having about comparing ourselves, I wonder if having a fluid framework like Ayurveda that says these different options are going to be helpful and healthy for different people kind of gives us permission to be ourselves.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so happy that you brought that brought that up because what's what's important for us to recognize is that we are constantly in flux. We're constantly changing. And so we do have to kind of get a handle on who we are from moment to moment or from day to day because that isn't, you know, even though we may feel like we're in sync with someone or, you know, one day or even some larger part, you know, some number of years, things shift for us. And so we have to keep tuning in to understand how things are shifting and what impact that's having on you know, who we are and what we're actually able to do and, and who we're able to be. Your dosha doesn't really change. However, the expressions of your dosha can change. This is where people get the most confused when they do their dosha tests and we say, right, we'll try to you know, take this test, if you're doing a test, um, take it based on you know, who you have been most of your life And people say, well, gosh, you know, I've always been really skinny and this and that. And now I'm not like, am I a vata or am I a kapha or am I, you know, and people get really confused about that. And then that question of can your dosha change? I get that a lot. That's one of the kind of one of the bigger questions that I get. And so it is understanding that your dosha itself, your prakriti doesn't change, but the expression of those doshas can change. And so it's just again, it comes back to me saying before, like understand how you're all the different ways that you your doshas can express themselves. You know, sometimes it's being wildly excited and sometimes it's being, you know, I don't know, being a little anxious or, you know, it's just understanding that. And again, all of that is that self-study work that's really important.
0: And I love what you said about it's being in relationship with the moment, Mm because that's what we wanted to talk about today, anyway. Yeah. is this moment this pretty intense crazy wild unpredictable moment in human history and how we as yoga teachers can use some of the tools and practices of ayurveda to help us stay centered and grounded and maintain our self-care
1: yes it, you know it's it starts with just having an understanding of or at least trying to build an understanding of the real impact that the that this experience is having. So often we get overloaded, and this is happening more this is happening more often than not these days. We get overloaded and everyone's experience of overload is look, can look a little bit different. And what we what we tend to do is we tend to not necessarily see what we're experiencing as a as, a, uh, as related to kind of what's going on outside, we think about, you know, our lack in, in ability of, to be able to handle what's happening. With Ayurveda kind of giving us these tools to understand what these kind of energies and what's happening outside and how that's in affecting us inside, it means that we have an understanding of what we need to do to bring ourselves back to center. So let me just kind of clarify that with a bit of, hopefully with a little bit of background. Right now we're experiencing a number of different things. We are experiencing a change of seasons and that's a big deal, that really is. Like we don't necessarily think it is, but if you look, if you think back to your experience of changes of seasons over your lifetime, that's typically a time when we get sick. It's a time when our systems are, you know, mind-body systems are in transition, which means that there's this, uh, there's this, this challenge to become grounded. There's this challenge to become centered. And this is happening throughout the year so it's really important that we tune into that we're also experiencing this what feels like a transition just in our collective understanding you know we're we're a lot of people are kind of struggling right now because we're trying to just get some ground underneath us and understand how to process all of this stuff that's happening so we have all of these things that are compounding and when all that happens, when we have this compounding of this kind of uncertainty and, and variability, that in, our, in an Ayurvedic sense, looks like an increase of vata energy. And the qualities of vata are you know, lightness and coldness and dryness and roughness. And so when we have this increase of those kinds of qualities in our experience of life, uh, they come out, they express themselves different, different ways for different people. But for me, coldness might express itself as cold feet or cold hands or a, just a coldness towards people. Um, lightness might express itself as, you know, lightheadedness or just this inability to get grounded or this inability to kind of put my finger on something or feeling foggy in the head or anxiety um roughness and dryness can can express themselves as things like constipation or dry skin or dry and achy joints like cracking joints so we don't always connect these two these sorts of things like we don't always think well the world's going nuts and my joints are cracking we don't see that as any we don't see there there being any connection there but in understanding Ayurveda, the tools of Ayurveda, which are first, like I'm, I'm this is all like, you know, decades of understanding that I'm kind of rolling out here, but it's a really, it's quite easy to understand. Um, I understand from that, that if there's a lot of dryness and a lot of lightness and a lot of roughness, then I can counter that and bring myself back to center by adding some heaviness to counter that dryness. So that heaviness can look like a, um, a, a yoga practice that feels heavy, that's grounded, that maybe has hands and feet and knees and many body parts on the ground. It could feel like, um, or it could look like eating foods that are heavier. So maybe now is a good time to have meat um, because meat is a, heavy, is a heavy thing. It's a heavy substance um, or, dare, or more dairy. Uh, and or heavier foods, more grounding foods, mm, it might look like uh, increasing the amount of warmth to offset that cold. So maybe that's putting on some socks or maybe that's eating warmer foods, um, even if it's summertime. Uh, so yeah, so this is, what kind of, this is what Ayurveda gives us, is this understanding, this ability to look outside of ourselves and inside, recognize the qualities that are at play, whether it's hot or cold or light or heavy or dry or wet and how they're expressing themselves and then make choices that will allow us to create a sense of balance.
0: Mm. What role does anxiety play in this? Because that's one of the expressions I'm seeing a lot is anxiety and then people staying really busy so mm-hmm. that they don't have to do svadhyaya, mm-hmm. so that they get to just be out in their spinning, you know, disconnected space yeah. and avoid the pain of mm-hmm. self-reflection. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yeah, so anxiety in, in an Ayurvedic sense is associated with movement and you know, just as I said before, we're in this transitional space, in this space of kind of uncertainty. Um, that's one expression of movement is we're not there is where there's no stability. So if without stability, there's there's kind of movement, whether that's, you know, big movement or whether that's just small movement, anxiety hourly. Um, it's also associated with if you think about just how much how much the world moves on a daily basis (sighs) you wake up in the morning and you look at the news and like things have completely shifted or changed or there's some new thing happening that you have to process or you've got lots and lots of things that are coming at you at once and lots of things that you're having to kind of deal with or manage or you're a person who does a lot who has a lot in your schedule who's wanting to maintain a sense of busyness you know who adds a lot to their schedule or just has a lot going on like a a busy life maybe you've got kids or maybe you're running a business or whatever and so it's important to recognize that all of that movement it takes away from your ability to to center it takes away from your ability to get grounded to focus to feel and to know yourself because you're constantly in flux. And so what that could, so balancing all of that could just mean slowing down. <laughs> I mean, that's what, we're, that's what we're hearing a lot these days. Really, everyone kind of globally um, is right now is challenged or is, uh, is facing the impacts of a world that is moving so, so fast and and it's expressing itself in lots of ways like anxiety and lots of digestive issues people are experiencing and lots of aches and pains and inability to focus and the only way that we can actually see that and fix it because we're constantly looking outside of us for like pharmaceuticals and things that can help us you know deal with it you know lots of stuff that's going on in our heads and whatever but Really, the only way to to deal with this on an ongoing basis, enduring basis, is just to pay attention to it and then love yourself enough to take the actions that you need to take, which you can, to bring it under control.
0: So, does meditation play a role? Because when I think about the opposite of movement, (laughs) that's what I think about.
1: Yeah, for sure. Meditation can. Definitely play a role. So, um, one thing that I'll touch on is, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people have heard about Ayurveda. They've studied Ayurveda. They have probably heard of this idea of um, digestion being really important. Mm-hmm. So, when we think about Ayurveda, sees every single person as whole. Yoga sees everything. Every single person as whole. Well, so when we consider that we are whole, that means that. Our entire mind, body, soul complex is a digestion complex. It is working to digest everything that we're experiencing. So every texture that we're touching, every thought or idea, everything that we see. And when you consider how much that is on a daily basis, all the information and people and things that we come into contact with, you realize that that's a lot of work. So our, the minute you wake up, the minute your feet, you know, even before that, but the minute your feet touch the ground, that process of digestion begins. And so there's a lot in our space that we're working through, even if we don't necessarily recognize it because it's just, it's just the way it's always been for us. So things like meditation are an opportunity to clear some of the space. And when we can, and there's lots of, and when you start to dive deeper into Ayurveda, you start to see that a lot of Ayurveda is actually about easing up on a lot of the stuff that that's coming at us, so that we can give our systems, our mind-body systems of digestion, a break, so that they can actually do their job properly. Whether that's you know doing cleanses or eating certain foods that are easier for us to digest, or having quiet time or meditation or you know, yoga practices, these are really about building our internal agni, our our digestive fire on all the different levels so that we can digest life better.
0: Oh, wow, that's such a great metaphor. Yeah. That's really awesome.
1: To ask yourself, like, how am I digesting life? And you you might not always have an answer immediately because like, what does that mean? But it starts
0: to tune you into to what isn't feeling quite right? And am I am I giving my body the chance to digest? Exactly. Myself, my full self. Am I am I giving myself the right circumstances for digestion? Or am I just stuffing, 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 stuffing?
1: Exactly. That's right.
0: Talk to me a little bit about immunity and how uncertainty and change will affect immunity.
1: So um, this is perfect timing with the way of all these, because in Ayurveda, what we see uh, as immunity and and I suppose like resilience is really our ability to digest life efficiently, effectively over time.
0: Okay.
1: So what that means is um, just taking it to anxiety. Anxiety is a... it's. If you break it down, it's really just stress. It's stress. It's the, it's the body mind's, it's, it's the body, it's an expression of, of stress within the body mind, right? It, you think about it, like uh, when we think about anxiety, often it's, it can be related to uncertainty. Uh, and if you try to, um, if, if you're looking to offset anxiety, you try to introduce some degree of certainty. Right. So routines or, um, you know, kind of taking away too many different options, kind of keeping your options limited to certain things. So that stress that's related to anxiety, that stress impacts or compromises our ability to digest any kind of stress impacts our ability to digest things. And this is something that science teaches us, too. You know, cortisol levels, when you're stressed, cortisol levels you know, go up, and then the, the, the rest and digest functions just shut down. And so if we can expand our rest and digest from our, our understanding of the gut to our entire body, anything that stresses your system is going to impact your ability to digest life. So if you're experiencing anxiety around anything, which we all are at the moment, your immunity is gonna be affected. It's gonna be hit because your body will be struggling to just process and integrate. A lot of, when it comes to immunity, you know, we're, we're often thinking I'll have some vitamin C and I will, you know, I'll have some, you know, bone broth or I'll do, you know, we often think about the body a lot, but the mind plays an incredibly, incredibly important part in our, Ability to uh, to be resilient and to boost our immunity, and you know, in the yoga, in sort of in in terms of the yoga philosophy, the the mind, the workings of the mind, um, they uses a lot of prana, (laughs) and prana, that sort of life force energy, um, that's an important aspect of our immunity. And so if we're constantly, if our, body, if our minds are constantly churning, trying to understand stuff, what should I post? What shouldn't I post? What should I do today? What shouldn't I, how's this working for me? What's the right thing to say or not? You know, all of the things that we do, we're, we're, we're burning our life force energy away. And often we're not really replenishing it so much. So we're all exhausted, which means our immunity is a mess.
0: So it sounds like our instinct is to try to add things Mm -hmm. to boost our immunity. But what Ayurveda is saying is subtract things to boost your immunity. Yes, And this is why restorative yoga, meditation, even yin yoga can play a really positive role in immunity and resilience. And Ayurveda can add some other layers of lifestyle factors. Do you want yes. to talk a little bit about those?
1: When so, I kind of touched on this before, just a little bit, is this idea of uh, of anxiety um, being a you know coming out of a lack of certainty. So we often think of you know, and I, I've touched on it too before. We talk about a lot of this experience of being all over the place and and um, change and all the rest of it as vada. So I talked about that. So just a really simple mantra for ba- balancing this experience of vada in our minds and our bodies is warming, grounding, warming, war- moisturizing routine. So that's really simple. It's really simple to think about. So it's about... Warming the keep ensuring that your body is warm, using in eating foods that are warm, those warm foods are easier for your body to digest, which means that you're giving your physical digestive system a little bit of a break in terms of the work that it has to do. So, those warming foods, grounding obviously, we've talked about already those grounding um, yogic practices, yin yoga, restorative yoga um even though you you might not feel like that's what you want to do you might feel like i've got excess energy i need to i need to move and burn it out and whatever but really just bringing it down is going to be it's going to be incredibly useful and helpful moisturizing so i talked earlier about dryness right and how um you know dryness is is um, a quality of vada and we might see that dryness we might see that our hair is dry you just pay a start to pay attention, especially depending on what, what season you're in. And again, you know, our experience of this is going to be relative to our environment. Um, but you might find that your hair is dry, your skin is dry, your joints might be dry. Um, and so we're wanting to add some moisture. We're wanting to ensure that we're getting enough hydration, whether that's, um, you know, making sure that we're drinking enough water and, and or, which I love, love love this is the one thing i love the most about ayurveda is oil so oil is a really interesting thing because um it has this quality of um it provides a layer of protection it has a heaviness to it so it has this beautiful like protective uh, feeling to it, Vasantlad um, Doctor Vasantlad, Lad, one of the one of the um, more well known Ayurveda teachers. I love this quote. I repeat it all the time. He says, "Love is oily," and so if you think about just the qualities of oil, there's a heaviness to it. There's a protective nature to it. There's a nurturing, you know, feeling to it. Um, you 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 sense that there's some love there. There's some love that you're giving yourself when you add oils to your diet inside and out. And so self-massage is a really lovely thing to do during these times using oils for a lot of reasons. Touch is so comforting, so soothing. You know, we think mac and cheese and like chocolate chip cookies are comforting. (laughs) Just try giving yourself a, a massage, just yourself a massage with some warm oil. During those times when you're feeling out of sorts, when you're feeling disconnected, like now, Um, that's a really beautiful thing to add to your routine. And then, then it comes back to routine. Uh, And there's been books written about this, which I've read, um, that point to how needing to make choices can be a very disorienting experience. You know, when you think about, uh, there was a book called The Paradox of Choice, which talked a little bit about, you know, going to the grocery store and seeing an, a whole aisle of, you know, cereal or toothpaste, and just immediate, you can, if you feel into your body, you feel the stress kind of start to, you know, the you feel that come up in your body. And so, and it's talked about in so many different spheres. I think about, you know, Steve Jobs wearing the same clothes every day and all the rest of it. like. When we can start to take out some of the decisions that we have to make on a daily basis, it gives us more energy because the mind isn't having to use that work or that, that energy, that prana to figure out, well, what do I need today? What do I want today? Or what do I need now? And so routines are beautiful for giving us some of our energy back because they they provide some touch points in our day and in our lives where we don't have to make a choice, it's just there. We just show up and get it done. And so that's really great too. I know a lot of people people with coronavirus and all the rest of it, our routines have been thrown out the window. They totally, they've been thrown out the window. And so if you're feeling anxious or if you're all of these things that I've talked about, dryness and, you know, whatever, lack of focus and all the rest of it, anxiety, a lot of that can be related to not just not having a routine.
0: Yeah, so I guess the invitation is for us to find new routines, which I think by now, what is it, almost three months? Yeah. Almost three months in, yeah. I think a lot of us have found new routines. I know I have. And I, my life wasn't disturbed as much as a lot of other people's, though, because yeah. I was already working from home.
1: Yeah. Routines are great, though, as well, you know, no matter what, any change that you're going through. You know, we we think of routines as being something that, you know, we need to engage in and keep going with over time. But really, you know, you can can create a routine around a certain period in your life. We're now moving through, as I've talked about, we're now moving through a change of seasons. And typically that will begin, I call it the hallway between seasons. Um, And typically that begins uh, a couple of weeks either side of the equinox. So the equinox is the 21st of June. And so this, we're in this period now, two weeks before and two weeks after, where we're walking through from one you know, season to the next. It's that uncertain time. And it's a great time to just to create a little routine for this transitional time. And then as you move into the new season, you can start to, you know, create some routines that are more um, suited to the season and to the qualities of the season.
0: So, what I'm hearing is that your routines you want to, you want to expect that they will shift with the they seasons.
1: Need they yeah. need to, yeah. And you know,
0: to. you and I were talking about travel before we started recording. And I was even mentioning how you know, I love travel, but I don't like being thrown off my routine. I yeah. think ideally you would have some travel routines mm-hmm. kind of planned out. Yep. Not that anybody's doing any of that. <laughs> when you're traveling. Right.
1: Yeah. But it's a great, then it's a great time to think about what, you know, if you're, if you're keen to travel, which I am again, when it start. you know, when we get a chance to travel, it's a great time to think about, you know, if you haven't done that thinking about what your travel routines could be Mm -hmm. and how you might even incorporate some of those other things that I talked about, like oil and like water and like restorative yoga into your travel routine, because travel like any, you know, like other um, experiences of movement has has those same qualities of uncertainty and moving from place to place. So if you're already somebody who's very busy, and then you sort of add travel to the mix, you know, you're definitely likely to be experiencing some kind of an imbalance in that process, unless you're offsetting it somehow.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So how about our yoga classes? Mm -hmm. What do you think for yoga teachers who are interested in bringing some principles of Ayurveda into their teaching, where should they start?
1: Oh, this is a good question, and honestly, this has kind of become my passion because as a uh, an Ayurvedic practitioner I, and and a yoga teacher and somebody who t- who goes and attends yoga classes, I show up in class, and and what I see is not uh, not just a group of people but a but a collection of individuals. And when we embrace this idea that everything that we come into contact with has the potential to create imbalance or balance, then we start to recognize that this practice that we're doing or that the me as a teacher or anyone as a teacher is, is leading us through um, could just as easily be creating a sense of imbalance in, in us, too much movement or maybe too little movement or you know, lots of different things as balance. And so I think as, te- as yoga teachers, um, and I know that can, some people can think, oh my God, that's overwhelming. How am I going to do this? As, y- as yoga teachers, the first thing I think for us to do is recognize that we are working with a group of individuals and not just see you know, a wave of, of people, a, a huge wave of people who are all either following you or not. We have to think about uh, the fact that we are working with individuals who are all having an individual experience. And then I think we have to make shifts to, if we haven't already, make shifts to the way that we engage with the, with the students in the class and the languaging that we use. So to me, recognizing that you're working with individuals, and some of us are kind of already doing this in, for, for other reasons, recognizing that we're working with individuals means using, empowering them to own their practice. It means you know, giving them options. It means asking them to consider how they feel right now. I love that. Before you um, start a class, asking the students, or perhaps even starting to create a routine of having the students inquire within themselves about how they feel, they might not have an answer, like that's just something that comes over time, but if we're not asking the question, we'll never we'll never know. How they feel what they feel they need. And if you've had a really crazy day and, you, you know, and your yoga teacher says, what do you think you need right now? Or what do you feel like you need? Or what needs balancing? That might be just, just the prompt that you need to create, a, to, to engage in your practice in a way that's a little bit more internal, you know, that's a little bit more grounding, perhaps. So asking them that, what they need. Um, and also I and I tend to uh, like to find or like to ask people uh, what their tendencies are. And people don't always get that um, and you can kind of explain after you know after time. but really it's our tendencies are very often to just as we've said, compare ourselves to others, push ourselves too hard, uh, you know, self-limiting thinking and negative self-talk if we can bring our attention to that it's a way of bringing our attention potentially to to our own tendencies to not love ourselves so much and provide a space or of understanding that it's important that we do really so even just those simple things a way of um incorporating that kind of language or those sorts of questions, however you can, into your class, to me is a really, um, it's a way of giving the practice back.
0: I love that. I agree completely. I have the same routine when I teach as I always start with the check-in and an invitation to just notice without needing to have an answer to that question, but to yes. create the space for hey, this is a practice of inquiry and I'm going to sit here with it and I'm going to see what's up and I'm going to let whatever comes up be here intentionally and meet it with my presence. Take what you notice during that time and use it (laughs) during during your, your asana practice and then we'll check in again at the end and see how you are at the end. So I love that. That's really very compatible with my own philosophy for teaching and, and my own approach. So I'm really glad to hear. It's always nice when it's affirmed and <laughs> a new perspective, kind of shine a, a new perspective on it. So thank you for that.
1: Days or times like this, when there's this upheaval, it's such an opportunity because people are feeling intense and strong emotions. You know, sometimes the subtleties are things that we have a hard time connecting with. But if you're feeling some intense pain or some intense discomfort or um, unsettledness, that's something that people can tune into. They can feel that. And that's an opportunity for them to dive into the work, to feel the difference between how they felt at the beginning of their class and how they feel through it. Maybe they can feel that discomfort or pain or whatever it is subsiding as a result of the choices they're making and then how they feel at the end and then they start to get a, just a glimpse of their own power. And, and that's, and that's fabulous. Like, that's what we're here for, you know, is to, is to, to to, um, hold space for that kind of inquiry and for that kind of um, discovery.
0: I so agree with you. Yeah. The podcast episode that I released yesterday, I recorded it recently in response to all of the intensity that's going on, the uncertainty from the coronavirus and then the Black Lives Matter and the protests. And the major message is don't shy away from discomfort. This is not yoga to shy away from discomfort. Meet it, look at it, use it as an opportunity to grow and use it as an opportunity to be, to really engage with your life. Because the type of yoga that I practice and that I teach is a yoga of engagement with life. It's not a Mm -hmm. yoga of fleeing to a cave and sitting in meditation for 12 hours a day. Yeah. I'm not real interested in that.
1: (laughs) I hear you. We got life to lead lead here.
0: I think we have a body for a reason. Yes. I don't think the body's an impediment. Mm -mm. I think it's there as a vehicle for us to learn and to experience something through exactly Something meaningful that we get to create we get to make meaning with it yes beautiful opportunity
1: exactly oh i'm so in agreement with you and if we can engage in our lives and in our relationships with our bodies with that understanding oh, every day is like Woo, what am i learning today even if it's even if there's pain or anger or whatever it's this opportunity to um to have this aha, I love aha moments, those experiences where you're noticing stuff and to be curious and and just to learn, especially if, you know, I love learning. So it's exciting, even if, yeah, even if it's a tough time or a tough day, just to think, how am I dealing with this? You know, how am I processing this?
0: You know, what this is really bringing up for me is the difference between engaging in self-care, yeah. and running to comfort
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: because there is that tendency like we want comfort we want comfort we basically mm-hmm. want to numb anything uncomfortable yep we need self-care for resiliency we need self-care to to have the capacity to handle discomfort yeah. but how do we discern between the two?,
1: Ooh, that's a good one that is a really good question
0: I do think it comes
1: back to that question, how am I digesting life? Because comfort can, in many ways, look like excess. You know, like you said, we're trying to kind of numb things. So we can, you know, for me, oh, and, and you, you start to notice your own tendencies, too, as you pay attention. But for me, when I wake up and just and, and I'm feeling like, oh my God, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, I start scrolling through news to try to find, um, you know, stories that are that are telling me the opposite, <laughs> that are saying, you know, we're starting to understand that, you know, oh gosh, the as news as is media. not the right place to look
0: for it's, that. I know. Sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know.
1: It isn't at all, um, but that's one of my tendencies. And as you can see, just based on everything that we've talked about, that's exactly the wrong place to go. Like, I am looking for comforting messages outside of me. Yeah. And I keep looking, and I keep looking, and I keep looking, and I keep having to try to digest everything that's coming at me. And if I just took a moment, and we do the same thing with food, and we do the same thing with sex, and we do the same thing with television, and we do the same thing with radio, and podcasts and all of these things you know and activities and stuff and if we just stopped and asked ourselves the question and even yoga um and asked ourselves the question how am i digesting life and we just tune in every time i ask that question i tune in immediately to my body and if i feel heaviness or fogginess or a lack of clarity or a lack of lightness and energy, I know I'm not digesting life very well.
0: So it sounds and like that question really calls you to presence.
1: Yeah, it does. It really does. And it coming back to that loving yourself, if we can love ourselves enough to take action based on what our mind body what our intuition is telling us if we can believe it if we can trust it and we can take action based on that which means put down the you know the cheesecake or whatever stop looking at the news turn off the radio you know lie on the floor or go for a walk or you know i've even taken to because i was always listening to stuff while i'm walking And I've even taken to not listening to anything while I'm walking, you know? And it's a whole nother experience, it really is. It's like, oh, this is so, I can feel how nourishing
0: this is. That question of self-love is a great filter to, to, for that discernment. Is this, am I doing this out of self-love? Or am I doing this out of a sense of avoiding or hiding or not being good enough? Yeah. Yeah, That's a really good one.
1: Yeah. I often think, you know, when I look at a lot of the chronic issues that were that are kind of plaguing the world right now, and that were plaguing it before, you know, coronavirus. Uh, I think, you know, we talk about having the world kind of experiencing this, um, this situation where we've got, you know, we're we're dealing with the the results of, you know, too much of everything. We're dealing with the result of too much good food or whatever, too much food in general, too much information, too much whatever. But honestly, when I think about it, I think what we're really dealing with is the result of a sense of self-loathing. And that's such a strong way of putting it, but not, and what I really mean is just not enough self-love or self-compassion, because in the space of self-love and self-compassion, it doesn't matter how many, how much information or stuff or food or all of these things, in that space of self-compassion where we have the clarity and we have the, the energy and even um, the compulsion to choose ourselves. So just to say no or just to choose what's right for us and so i really do think we have to start there.
0: That's such a perfect powerful message.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. probably a perfect place to end. Yeah. Is there anything that you haven't said yet that you want to share?
1: For yoga teachers,
0: ayurveda is such we it's, it's such a
1: key part of the practice and the sharing of yoga. And Some yoga teacher trainings include a little bit of Ayurveda. Uh, Some yoga teachers, which I've heard, you know, I've spoken to or whatever, are seeking to learn more about Ayurveda. But Ayurveda, in my experience, is the foundation for living a yogic life. So if you think about the yamas and the niyamas and all that, Ayurveda is is the the practical guidance for, for experiencing that relationship with yourself and that relationship with the outside world so if you don't know much about Ayurveda get, learn seek out seek out learn more about it because the way that these two are connected they feed each other in a beautiful way and I often say if you're not practicing them together like if you're not including Ayurveda with your yoga then you're kind of missing it you're missing half of it so yeah that's probably
0: <laughs> and if yoga teachers want to learn more about Ayurveda from you where can they find you
1: my website is um www.blissbodyandsoul.com and i've got lots of information on the website a blog and and various things um outlets and things that i'm teaching bits and pieces of ayurveda and i'm also I'm putting soon to be launching a an ayurveda for yoga teachers program that kind of dives into helping yoga teachers to understand the concepts of ayurveda that they can share with their students in their classes so not necessarily giving them the tools to become like clinicians or anything, but really just giving them the real foundation that they need to be able to share this in a a useful and a powerful way with their students.
0: Awesome. And it sounds like if they look you up on social media platforms, it would be Bliss Body and Soul is what they should look for?
1: Yep. Bliss Body and Soul. Yep. They'll see that on Instagram, Facebook, etc.
0: Well, thank you so much, Shara. This has been a really enjoyable and interesting discussion. I really appreciate having you on the podcast.
1: Thank you. This has been great. I love all your questions. They're really terrific. And yeah, it's been wonderful sharing. I appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation. Since you're still here, I'm guessing you did. And If so, you will definitely want to check out Shara's podcast, Live Like You Love Yourself, where she has a lot of similar conversations with her co-host, Maria Kirsten, and they also have guests. They are super fun, super knowledgeable, and put so much thoughtfulness and integrity into their podcast. I highly recommend them. In fact, I had such a great time when I was a guest on their podcast that I invited both of them to be guests on mine. So Maria's episode will air in a few weeks. And it is all about mental health and how yoga can support mental health and what yoga teachers can use in their classes to support mental health just in a regular general population yoga class. I also hope that you will consider becoming a patron of this podcast to help cover expenses and allow me to continue to produce it without any ads. Podcast patrons, you are the backbone of this community. I have so enjoyed getting to know many of you better over the past few months during the workshops, Q&A sessions, and the one-to-one sessions, depending on the level of support. In the past two months since starting the patron program, Patrons have been invited to workshops on how to teach philosophy in asana classes, how to teach online privates, how to create a support group of fellow yoga teachers, and they have received resources to help them with market research, to help them with teaching online, and to help them develop their first website. Some upcoming workshops that you can be invited to if you join the patron program include healthy boundaries for yoga teachers, effective queuing, and shifting your money mindset. If you are interested in becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P A T R O N to learn more and check back here again, same time, same place next week for an on-air coaching call about building a yoga therapy practice and transitioning from a full-time job to teaching yoga full-time. Meanwhile, please make sure you're staying connected to your personal practice. Whatever you're doing right now, can you stop for a moment to be fully present with whatever it is you are doing? So if you're walking or driving, you can keep doing that. Or if you're at a place where you can stop and sit down and close your eyes, do that. Check in. What do you need right now? And how can you be an example of the self-love that you want to see in the world? Let's keep doing that. Let's keep checking in. Let's keep learning how to love ourselves better and better together.